Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing Monday's interview with Dr. Blake Thompson, who is the 20th president at Mississippi College. He's had experience in the academic world, learning about leadership, but he's also had a ton of experience in multiple sectors, being a leader, having a great effect on the people around him and on the organizations around him. And today, we're going to be talking about some of that stuff. Joining me back in the studio are my friends and fellow leaders, Anna Maria Dempsey, Anthony Jackson, and Jake Sullivan. So what did y'all think about Monday's episode with Dr. Blake Thompson? Jake? I really, really enjoyed it. I think he had a a nice blend of commitment and pursuit to what he wanted, but also a laid-back attitude towards the way life can, can hand you unexpected twists. And it sort of seemed like he was able to to keep his mind goal oriented while living a almost seems like multiple lives. He had so many things that he, you know, was leaders. Uh, leader multiple in. lifetimes, maybe yeah. is a better way of putting multiple it. Multiple yeah. lifetimes. He's there we a whole go. Lot. Yeah. yeah. Anthony, what'd you think? It was very refreshing just to hear from somebody at his age to be, have done all the things he's done in his life and is doing what he's doing now. Nobody imagines being a university president at the age of 43 or working, being a vice president at Ohio State in your 30s or being a vice president at Battelle in your 30s. Sure. Like it's, just, it's just crazy. So it's very encouraging and refreshing to see somebody his age doing something like that. Absolutely. And, you know, this podcast is focused especially on helping young leaders. And when you start pulling back the timeline and thinking through his current age versus what he's done in his life, like you said, he had to have been super young when he started a lot of those leadership positions. So it's definitely I had possible. No idea he was that young. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anna Maria, what, what did you think about the the episode? I love when someone is such a good communicator that they can say a lot with few words. Um, and I thought that he was very well spoken and articulate when this. It essentially was a shorter interview, but really had some great nuggets um, for listeners to take away. Yeah. So one of the things that that he talked about was, you know, I asked him, how do you figure out what the next step is? Because he's had such a varied past in his leadership experience. What he said is he asked the question, what is the most compelling opportunity in front of me? And so I think it's worth talking for a second about what what does compelling mean? I mean, you can look up the dictionary definition and things like that. But when, when you think about compelling, uh, so there are a number of things. First of all, you can find something compelling when you're excited about it. You can also find something compelling when it's challenging. But challenging and competitive aren't always the same thing. Sometimes you can be challenged and you're not excited about the challenge at all. So and maybe there are some other ways that we could define compelling as well. But when you're thinking about something in front of you that's compelling, what does that look like? 
To me, when I heard the word compelling, I thought of something intriguing. So it kind of took on exciting and challenging. So something that maybe I haven't done before and also would take me to kind of new heights in my development as a professional. Jake? Compelling for me is the stuff that that I would do even when there's not a paycheck attached to it. So if I'm making, you know, especially career choices, it's it's not just about the, the offer on the table, but it's about how... Uh, how I feel, how I, he used the word exciting. I think that's a good word for it. The things that, that I wake up and I want to do. And we've also talked about the balance. Sometimes there are things that you want to do with your life that you may wake up one day and you're not super jazzed about, but there's still things that you find compelling as a whole. Uh, Anthony, any thoughts there for you? Um, I think that's something that definitely depends on the person. I like to be challenged. I like, I like it. Things make me excited when they are challenging, whether that's for personal growth, personal reasons. And the fact that I'm a very competitive person, I think that just comes from being an athlete most of my lifetime. Yeah. And and we talked about on, on Monday's episode that you uh, are the outgoing student body president at Mississippi college. What was the attraction for becoming student body president for you? Because I know at my time in college, I was part of the student Congress, but I had my fill of it uh, after just a few <laughs> meetings. I was done representing my organization after a while, but what, what was it? Was there something particular for you or was it just kind of the challenge? Um, number one, it, it was a challenge, especially um, with, Having the opportunity to be the first African-American student body president, that definitely intrigued me. And there's just a different dynamic of a black student trying to lead a student body that's predominantly white. So that different dynamic and having to learn through that, having the opportunity to connect with other people. And I guess just spending, when I started to spend time with administrators like Dr. Jonathan Ambrose, who's also been like a mentor to me, I enjoyed more so that work, doing administrative work, you know, so that's probably why I took it on. For the other two of you, were there ever any specific positions that you found really compelling in your life, or maybe not positions, maybe just opportunities that once you heard about it, either because it was exciting or because it was challenging, you just found it so compelling that you couldn't say no? Yeah. um, One of the things I'm doing right now, I'm currently uh, the local missions coordinator for a church that we launched just over a year ago in Flowood here. And I was I was ready to leave the state like I had made plans. I knew where I was moving to. And Josh, your brother Elijah, sent me a, an email and he's like, hey, I'm watching this church. I need somebody to reach out to the community with us and like lead this. And yeah, I stuck around. I'm still here because of that. Anna Maria, anything come to mind? Currently, I work at Mississippi College in residence life. And initially when I took the job, I was just kind of to take a job. But the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. And when they presented me with an opportunity for a promotion, it was kind of intimidating at first to take more responsibility. But it also was very compelling to continue to kind of challenge myself in this field that I already had been pouring into for a couple of years. Another thing that Dr. Thompson talked about was the importance of humility. He was talking about what he thinks is one of the most important things as an executive. And he said, humility is probably the most important thing to have as an executive leader. My question is, is humility going to get you into executive leadership or is that, I mean, it is important to have as an executive leader, but does it get you where you want to go when you start off at the bottom? I don't know if humility is the vehicle that gets you there, but I don't think it's counterproductive to it. Another thing you talked about was pursuit. If you're pursuing something you're going to to make it there. And if you're humble when you're doing it, I think that can be more attractive than someone who is 
puffing out their chest and bragging about it. Yeah, for me, the word humility has become really synonymous in my time in leadership uh, because it's a big part of servant leadership, which is something that we really focus on in our department. And so it's really changed the way I viewed humility. And so really it's not that humility means that I don't take care of myself or do things that may be best for myself, but rather I do it in full knowledge of my limitations as a human being and therefore acknowledging, you know, my need for the Lord. Um, but also that I'm really not above the people that I might be supervising. And so I'm leading alongside them. And so we're still moving forward. So it is a forward trajectory, but it's a humble one of being alongside instead of being above. One of the really interesting things I found that Dr. Thompson talks about is when he mentioned that character is greater than competence is greater than charisma. I believe that's true in a like ideological sense, but when I'm looking for someone to follow and I'm looking for a mentor, I tend to look for competency first because it gives a tangible skill that I can learn. And I was just wondering if y'all agreed with him when you're looking for mentors, when you're looking for that relationship, what is the the key thing that really draws you to a mentor? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And what you're saying, I think, is you think it's right and you think it's important to keep yes. that personally, perhaps, yes. to, to keep the character as a primary thing, followed by competence, followed by charisma. All of them are important, but keep it in that order of importance, I guess, right? Yes, but, but in practice. <laughs> but, well, well, but when you're looking for a mentor, do you keep those three parts of the equation in the same order or do you primarily go towards competency or charisma or charisma? That's true. That's true. I think I go towards charisma first. And I think that's just because I want to be a politician. So my favorite politicians will have to be John F. Kennedy and Barack Obama just because they were so charismatic. Yeah. So my mentors now are Dr. Ambrose and Blake Thompson because they are so charismatic and then everything else falls in line after that. But they have shown me, their charisma is contagious that, you know, influence to me is the biggest part of leadership. And if you can influence people, then you are being an effective leader. So if I can use my charisma to my advantage, that's why that's something I look for first. Character and competence do play a big role, too, like you said, because you don't want to follow nobody that's not doing the right thing because there are a lot of bad politicians. Sure. You know? Yeah. Very bad, charismatic politicians, right? You got to exactly. be careful. Exactly. Any, any thoughts here, Anna Maria? Yeah. So it's funny enough, they've touched on competency and charisma my go-to is, is characteristic. When I'm looking at somebody, the first thing I want to know about is what other people say about them, which to me is a characteristic thing. And then that kind of helps me decide if I want to follow this person or not. Yeah. And as, as I think about it, obviously there are three points here, three different things that are all important and you need them in our lives that are so influenced by social media. Charisma will catch our eye. And the question is what keeps us there? So I think charisma is extremely important uh, when selecting a mentor. As I'm thinking about people that, that have influenced my life, whether they are people that I personally know or people that I just pay attention to, I think that obviously I'm attracted by charisma. Then there's the competence. If, if they're not competent, then you're not going to keep on listening. But when it comes down to the brass tacks, when the question is, am I going to follow this person? Am I going to spend time with them? Am I going to purchase products from them? Then a lot of it also comes down to character. Because the truth is, there are a lot of charismatic people out there who are competent, but 
if if I'm selecting between a person that has character and one who doesn't, at least according to my perception, then I'm going to go with the one who has character. And so I kind of I think it's a, a reverse order as far as how you're attracted to people. But I think as you funnel down through different potential mentors, eventually you weed people out and you would end up with someone, hopefully, who has good character. Character definitely has staying power. Like that, that, that keeps me around. That's a good way of putting it. It's like Anna Maria was saying, good leaders are able to say things very concisely. And there you go, Jake, you just did it. <laughs> but I, I, hope, I hope the rest of that was also helpful from the others of us. Definitely character has staying power, and that's very important. So I don't know if this directly connects with the character question, but I think it does have something to do with understanding yourself as a leader. One of the things that Dr. Thompson also said was that you should care more about your organization than you do yourself. Two different people can hear that and take two very different meanings from it. And we think of people who are very profession-driven, who are very driven by what they do. And that can be a very unhealthy thing when they, they are holding their organization in higher prominence than maybe their own well-being. So how do you care more about your organization than you do yourself in a healthy way? Any thoughts there? I think it takes a lot of maturity like you said, there's a spectrum of people on different sides of healthiness and how they will take that phrase. And so I think that a big part of it is knowing yourself and being self-aware. And maybe that includes holding people around you in accountability who can say, hey, I see that you really do care about this, but I think you might need to take a step back or take a break. I think is a probably the best way is to kind of surround yourself with some sort of accountability and counsel. Any other thoughts there? Accountability is probably the biggest thing that comes into play right there. Yeah. Because especially at MC, and we have adopted this idea of serving leadership and what that looks like. And that means as leaders of an organization, we should be willing to serve others before we serve ourselves. But at some point, those around you, they have to hold you accountable, but you have to hold them accountable. So the healthy way to do it is make sure you're not overstepping your boundaries and to make sure you're not like, I don't say doing too much because there's no such thing as doing too much, in my opinion. <laughs> if the, Someday you might live to regret that. <laughs> but if if the people that you're not necessarily leading but just working with, if everybody's doing their part, if you were able to delegate things, then you won't have to worry about having a healthy self, healthy mind, healthy body. Because if everybody's doing their part, then it won't be too big of a tug on you as well. So I think accountability is the biggest thing. Have you found that in the maybe the multiple roles that you have as a leader, as a student, in other positions, do you have the same types of accountability or same people holding you accountable in your life across the board? Or do you have different people for different parts of your life? As far as holding me accountable, I think it's whoever I'm working with at the time. Yeah. That's just that in this respect, I'm going to get them. Like I said, that just comes from playing sports. Accountability is always the biggest thing. My high school coaches tell us just make sure you do your job. If you focus on that, then that's the easiest thing. Then you can hold somebody else accountable for that. But I guess being in college, sometimes it definitely depends on who the person is that I let say certain things to me that I let get by with. And one small thing, I like to listen to music, so I keep my headphones in 24-7. Sure, yeah. So if I walk in a meeting and if I don't know you and you pull out my headphones, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I'm listening to music before the meeting and it hasn't started yet, I'm, I'm going to keep listening. But when it starts, I'll take them out. That's like... Just something small, but I won't let anybody just do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And for the most part, I guess because of my the role that I held this year, in certain cases, I knew I couldn't do that. Even when I tried to. So I was an orientation leader this summer, but I would still actually do more than orientation directors just because of my 
position and the respect that I had. So I guess it just it depends on the person with that. Yeah. So, Jake, you own your own business. And I know it can be especially easy when you own your own thing, when you have something that's your baby, so to speak. It's easy to to put that ahead of yourself. So any any words of wisdom from experience here about how to care more about your organization than you do yourself, but do that in a healthy way? I think a lot of it comes back to a thing that he mentioned a few times, and that's the culture that you're building. And if you are overworking yourself and it's a grind and you're not actually enjoying it, then the people underneath you see that and it's more difficult for them to have any joy in what they're doing as well. So I think a lot of times self-care can be the same as caring for your organization if you're treating it in the right lens, if you're coming at it from servant leadership and humility and knowing that that you have to do what's best for the people in your organization. You don't always overstretch yourself to do that. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the culture thing because I wanted to talk about that too. I, I thought it was interesting towards the end of the interview. He talked about his book recommendation for leaders and how it's kind of focused indirectly on culture. But the reason he recommended it is because culture is so important in his mind when it comes to leadership. So what are some of the best techniques you've either used as a leader or that you've seen used to develop and encourage culture in an organization, a group, or anything else? One of the biggest things that I've seen successful in my own work as a leader and in other people's is curiosity. I don't think you can go wrong when you approach anything with curiosity, but especially something that you truly don't know about. Like you are not the expert of that person's culture. They are. And so to approach it with curiosity really only can go pretty open-endedly. And then, of course, it's up to them how much they want to let you in. But to approach with curiosity can be very non-abrasive and make people feel a little more receptive to knowing you truly care. I think the the thing that can be used best is your influence. Like I talked about earlier, I think you do that just by being real. And sometimes getting lead, people get in leadership positions and they either forget who they are or they try to be something they're not instead of, instead of being themselves. So if Dr. Thompson would have came in and tried to be Lee Royce, he would have failed miserably because he's not Lee Royce. He came in and and he was Blake Thompson to the T, and that was has shifted this transition slowly in the culture. And also, you have to be, is what she just said, um, with the curi- the aspect of curiosity. I'm trying to think how to how I would word that instead. I think you have to be patient. I think that's what curiosity brings to it because you can't change culture overnight. Doctor Thompson has been in ten months, and he can't completely change the culture, but you can yeah. see it slowly starting to shift in a direction that you see best fit for the organization, the team, the school, whatever position you're in at the time. Yeah. And that's really interesting that you say that, that curiosity and patience are linked because that's not a natural connection that I see. But if you're curious, that means you're kind of open to seeing what around you is developing. You don't necessarily come with uh, preconceived notions because you're just curious to see what's happening. And when that's the case, that means you maybe aren't driving for a particular thing quite as much. And that requires a little bit of patience because you're listening, looking, and understanding before acting. That's something that he brought up in in the interview. And I think there's there's a lot of, of truth to that. He talked about curiosity. And, and it is important to understand things before you move in and act, for sure. I like the idea of, of curiosity and patience. But another thing that he mentioned was that you can only see the plan in the rearview mirror, talking about the different transitions that he's had in life. And if we set our goals and then the plan doesn't work out the way that we had hoped, 
we end up doing something else. I was just wondering how y'all deal with that when the plan doesn't come out the way you had hoped it would. What methods do you have to sort of adjust? So for me, in high school, it was tough to go through it. And I can't sit here and say confidently that I actually got through this situation. Like I said, I placed my identity in being a football player, a dominant football player for the longest. When I got to college, the thing that helped me the most in that transition was I saw my best friend, Miguel Black, who's also a graduating senior. He had shoulder surgery the previous year, and he had to stop playing football. And he was a cab member. He was an orientation director. He was a member of Rotaract. So I got to see him in these leadership positions. And then he started working with Pine Lake. So seeing him be able to still have the same type of fun and it had the same feeling and the same attitude he had when we played football together, it really inspired me. And when I asked him what got what got him through it, he, he told me that he just submitted to God's will. And that's when it just kind of clicked in my head. You can't understand it. I can't sit here and tell you I planned my whole life to be the state president of Mississippi College. I remember in my orientation, we were listening to Chip Wilson speak, who was the previous SGA president, and my mother leaned over to me and said, you're going to be the SGA president by the time you graduate. I would have never imagined it. But yeah, man, that was, Miguel helped me a lot, just being able to see somebody else go through it, you know, and understanding. Miguel didn't know why he was going through it at the time, but he found a way to use it to help somebody else. So he was able to help me. And then now I'm seeing Aaron get elected as SGA president and him thinking about his football career. Um, my best friend, since I've been an MC, he tore his ACL two years back to back. So he had to find another way to um, express his feelings and his emotions. And now he's planning on going back to his home in South Florida and bringing FCA to his high school. You know what I'm saying? So you just got to find those different ways. And, and now for me, when I give up and give a speech, um, when we're doing some service in the community, the student government, I get that same feeling that I used to get when I was putting on pads. Not that I want to kill somebody, <laughs> but, you know, just, just use that passion to be able to serve others. You know what I'm saying? So I think finding somebody else that they can, you can relate with, because one thing that people don't understand is that you can't preach a sermon to everybody. Some people have to just see you live it out. Yeah. And when they see you living it, it makes it easier for you to be able like, to connect with that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and I like that idea of... of- you know, so let's say you had a plan to do one thing or you were doing one thing. Now you're doing something else. Well, take the same energy, the same passion, the same drive, the same purpose behind what you were doing before and bring it somewhere else. And I think there's there's a lot to that for sure. For myself, I won't say that there are too many really life altering things that that if totally made me like question my previous direction and things like that. I will say that there have been a lot of things that I hadn't planned on doing. And when one thing hasn't panned out, then as I'm continuing to head down whatever path I was previously heading down, new things tend to open up. And I think there's just this idea of, of heading down a general trajectory and being open to what opens up. And when you do that, then even if, one thing kind of passes you by or whatever else, then you're still going to have options that open up if you continue on that same trajectory. And I think, Anthony, it sounds like that may have happened with your friend where, you know, something didn't pan out, but he found new things. You just keep using the same principles, same passion, and other other things are going to open up on down the road. I think the the biggest thing when I heard him say that part about the rearview mirror, it just reminded me the concept of how faith works. And that when things do go kind of off-road, if you really you know, have this belief in God's sovereignty, then you really have to kind of walk it out and trust that this is part of the plan, and it'll all make sense later. I remember my grandfather told me 
He said, you can't stop a river and you can't speed it up. Sometimes you just got to have some faith and go with the flow. So yeah, definitely. There I you go. Like I didn't know That's what grand, grandfathers yeah. are great for those things. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and turn to our key takeaways for the day. And Jake, would you start us off with these? What are some things that you think people should take away from this episode? If they're leaving with something, they're leaving with this. I think one of them is ground yourself in principle. You can become competent and charismatic in things, but your character is who you are forever. Again, character has staying power. And once you have that going, most of your choices aren't lifelong. Some of the good ones are. But even when, like you were saying earlier, when you have that trajectory, if an opportunity passes you by, there's always going to be another one coming up. So you pursue your goals and your dreams. And when those change, you change what you're pursuing. Anthony, what you got? I think my takeaway, and just because I have spent so much time around them, is Let's not let our age limit ourselves. And you kind of do have the benefit of, of giving, giving a takeaway from experience rather than from the interview. So yeah. that's, that's neat. Can I say, I like that, and I think it should work both ways. You're never too young, but you're also never too old. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. for sure. Anna Maria, what you got? One of the key takeaways, I would say, is not only keeping character at the root of things, but also uh, remembering to surround yourself with um people, whether that's accountability, wise counsel, and encouragement, I think you can go far. I really appreciated Dr. Thompson's focus on humility as an executive. And the higher up we get in leadership, the easier it's going to be to think that we're great. And the more important humility will become. The second is to take the next step without trying to figure out the entire journey. And this is something that also came up in Greg Nance's interviews in episodes five and six. He, he talked about the next best step. And as someone like Greg, who's run seven marathons in seven days on seven continents, I'm going to trust him to know how to do a journey well. And Dr. Thompson as well, he's, he's been through a lot. He's gone places in his life. That doesn't sound healthy. Uh, it's it's a great interview. So go back and listen to those if you haven't yet. And then the final one is to develop your character, your competence and charisma, but value them in that order. First of all, value character followed by competence, followed by charisma. Well, Anthony, Jake, Anna Maria, thank you so much for joining the show this week. Thanks Josh. All right. So, after finishing recording, we realized that we had not talked about perhaps the most interesting thing that we could have talked about, which is Dr. Thompson's national championship ring from Ohio State University. Jake brought this up. Jake, what you got to say? I mean, I couldn't find a good segue to it the whole time, but I loved the idea of it. I mean, I the dude's got a national championship ring. That's one of my goals as a kid was to, to get to spend the night with the Stanley Cup. And, like, it's always one of those, well, I can't make the hockey team, so be a equipment manager or something? Like, <laughs> I feel like most of the, like, really big goals that people like to hear about that I've accomplished in my life have all been sort of, I was near greatness, and then that allowed me to be a part of something. All right. <laughs> the The other, the probably what I think was the actually the most interesting part of this interview, though, was despite his transitions through life in the very beginning when you were asking him about what he was doing he used the pronoun us and there was this idea that didn't hit me till the second listen through but as much as he's transitioned through other parts of life his marriage was consistent and that that commitment to that was was huge for me too 
Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this week's interview with someone you think would benefit from it. Or three, give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. Thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well. <laughs>